Good morning, church family. So, yeah, we're digging into Paul, the apostle, writing a letter to the church of Galatia. And we're coming in at chapter 6, verse uh, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be too tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbour. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now we're going to move over to Romans. Chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. It is possible, sorry, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sally. Morning. Well... Here we are. We now live in an age of individualism. Individualism. In fact, I'm not the only one to say that. Seven years ago, uh, the New York Times was writing articles about this. A man named Ross Douthat for the New York Times wrote an opinion piece. And he studied Western culture, particularly in America, but be here in Australia as well. And he sort of was looking at trends and the way that this rugged, autonomous nature, this, this individual spirit that we have. And he said, this was his prediction. He said this in 2014. He said, in the future, it seems, there will be only one ism, individualism, and its rule will never end. As for religion, it shall decline. As for marriage, it shall be postponed. As for ideologies, they shall be rejected. As for patriotism, it shall be abandoned. 
As for strangers, they shall be distrusted. Only pot, selfies, and Facebook will abide. And the greatest of these will probably be Facebook. Now, that was seven years ago. Ross Douthat is not a prophet, but he's pretty spot on in his uh, observation of culture and where it was headed. And the impact of our individual, individualistic age um, is not just seen or felt in sort of the out there secular world. Um, it can be felt in the church. As a new generation of Christians are breathing the air of this autonomous culture, many begin to think that because the gospel addresses us as individuals, well, then the Christian life must be primarily a personal thing. And on one level it is. The gospel does come to us as individuals. But as we've been saying for the last few weeks, we're saved in individu as individuals, but incorporated into the body of Christ. That's why we have all the one another passages in Scripture. In fact, 50 different times that phrase, one another, can be spotted all throughout the New Testament. And that's why we've been doing this series called Life Together. Because the Christian life is not designed to be lived in isolation. Let me actually read a couple of these one another. I won't read all 50. But let me read a few of these one another passages to you. They'll actually come up on the screen. John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. Romans 15, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. James has a number of one another's. I'll read three of them to you. James 4, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I think to state the obvious, in order to live out these commands, we need one another. You actually can't live these commands out unless you're in a community and connected to a church. Or take the fruit of the Spirit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Have you ever stopped, sort of sat back for a second and thought most of those, the way that they're sort of lived out is primarily relational. It, that you actually need somebody else in order to demonstrate these. We can all think that we're loving and patient and kind and all those things, but they have to be, you have to have that actually worked out with some other people in a community. Because the Christian life is not de designed to be lived in isolation. It's, it's designed to be life together under the word. And that's really the tragedy of not being able to gather here this morning. Um, grateful, as Sky was saying, that through technology, uh, we are able to live stream. But that's what, this, that's what we're doing right now. 
This is a live stream. This, this is not church. It's a live stream. And we pray that this encourages you, but this is not a, really a, a sufficient substitute for the gathering of God's people here in this place. So as we explore this idea of one another this morning, may the Lord stir in our hearts a desire to be together again, to, to be the kind of church that is devoted to one another, that we care and watch over each other. And if need be, speak the truth and love to each other so that all may be built up in the faith. So we've been sort of looking at these statements the last few weeks, praying to, for the unity of church, not forsaking gathering together, being committed to holiness together. And today, here's the statement that I want us to really think about. We're going to camp on this statement here. And here it goes. We will be devoted to one another, humbly exercising care and watchfulness over each other, and as occasion may require, speak the truth in love so that all may be built up in the faith. We will be devoted to one another, humbly exercising care and watchfulness over each other, and as occasion may require, speak the truth in love so that all may be built up in the faith. I think that's a beautiful display of life together as a church under the word. And so I pray the Lord stirs in your heart a desire to be a part of something like I just read. So let's, let's actually pray now that the Lord would do that as we open the word together. Father, we, we grieve that we can't meet. Lord, not simply because it's a nice thing to do, not because uh, it gives us a, a sense of belonging. Lord, those things might be true and nice, but ultimately it's because your word tells us to gather. And, and so we grieve, Lord, that this is such a unique time to where we can't do that. We do pray that in your grace that these restrictions would be lifted. Uh, Lord, we do pray also that you'd help us as individuals to value, to, to deeply long to be together. Uh, not just because, again, this is something that uh, we feel a, a sense of emotional connection, but because, Lord, we want to submit to your word because you have spoken. So, Lord, we pray that as this is less than ideal now, we pray that you would still speak as people are sitting in lounge rooms, as watching from tablets, and all sort of different locations now. We pray that your word would still pierce hearts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So what a person believes about the future, in other words, what someone believes will happen in, then say, the next week or month or years ahead, typically shapes the way that they live each day and each week. For some, they've heard the tragic news that, from a GP that, or some kind of a surgeon that they only have a few months to live. Awful news. And yet, if you've seen people in that circumstance, you know that it shapes, it colors their outlook and how they start living each day. Uh, when there's a young married couple and they hear the news that they soon will have a baby, that will begin to shape their planning in the next year or so, or nine months actually. 
I should know that. Um, for others of us, when uh, if you hear that you're going or you're about to receive a lump sum of cash from an inheritance, that might begin to lessen the stress that you have about certain bills. And you might begin to think about investments or holiday or, or whatever it might be. What we believe about the future shapes how we live each day. I say that because in the busyness of our day-to-day -day lives, right, we're all busy, I think we often forget, I know I do, that Jesus could return at any moment. He'll likely come in a time that we're, not, we're least expecting it, really. That's the next event in God's redemptive plan. So in the meantime, what should our lives look like together as a church? Well, the Apostle Peter says, if we really believe this, guys, that the, that the return of Christ is imminent, we should be giving ourselves to prayer and to each other. I, I want you to look at a passage with me in 1 Peter where, where he says, the end of all things is at hand. You see that? You can hear that language? 1 Peter 4 is like the return of Christ is imminent. So then what are we to do, right? What are we to do? Well, 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Did you hear that? In light of Jesus' future return, we're to love each other with fervency, with all we've got. If you watch the Olympic Games coming up, you'll witness this type of fervency. When a runner is on their last lap around the track, they'll stretch and strain every muscle, right? Giving it their all to the end. In the same way as Christians, we need to understand that the end is near. Friend, we're on the final lap. This is it. So we need to love each other with all we've got. And not just a sentimental type of love, by the way. That's easy. No, the type of love described here is sacrificial. It stretches our spiritual muscles to the max. Wayne Grudem hopefully comments on this passage, and he says this, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians... Many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. Would that not stretch your, your spiritual muscles? It sure would mine. So, but that's what it looks like when we're loving one another earnestly with all we've got. So where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. Now, what about when that's not the case? But where love is lacking... Every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts about to Satan's perverse delight. Take a look at verse 8 and following, and you'll see how this love is teased out a little bit more for us. You notice that? And above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Isn't it amazing that God has given every one of us at least one gift or ability so that we can serve others in this church? So we can be devoted to one another, 
humbly exercising care and watchfulness over each other. But it doesn't end there. Because that's, that's wonderful, and that's what we're called to do. I think Peter's made that pretty clear. But yet, as occasion may require, we are to speak the truth in love so that all may be built up in the faith. I want you to turn to another passage. Sally just read this for us in Galatians. Turn to Galatians 5. This passage really illustrates this reality of speaking the truth in love. So, so go over, it's, in, it's to the left in your Bible. Go to the left to the book of Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, Paul has just laid out this contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Or you could say the world's way of living and God's way of living. And now he reaches a point in the letter where he says, if we live by the Spirit, in other words, if this is true of you, notice verse 25, chapter 5, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, fall into line with God's standard. If the Holy Spirit is working in us, then we're to keep in step with what He desires. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means not being conceited in the way that we treat other believers. Because in verse 26, what does He say? Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, in other words, if we walk by the Spirit, we're not to think, so highly of ourselves and be patting ourselves on the back or becoming jealous when other people seem more committed to God than we are. Instead, we're to look out for one another. We're supposed to treat each other like family, like a family. You know, when my kids come to the dinner table and one of them seems sort of out of sorts, we all come together, we have dinner together, I don't think, oh man, huh, well... Well, that's a drag. I hope they'll get over it, or let's just here, let, let's just start eating, and, and maybe this will go away. No, no, we're we're a family, we're a family unit. It's all hands on deck. If someone's not doing well, it's all of our responsibility. Everyone has an obligation to help because we're a family unit. In a similar way, Paul addresses them here as family, as brothers. In chapter six, can you see that? brothers, or you could add sisters there as well. In Christ, we are a family. And so how does a family act? They don't compete against each other, right? They don't envy each other. They look out for one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught, you following along there? Verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now let's step back here for a second. Because I want you to see the word if. Paul probably doesn't have in mind a specific situation happening in their community. More likely, this is a scenario that would inevitably happen. Right? Such is the case with any church, right? With any group of fallen human beings, give it time, and sin is going to rear its ugly head. It's simply a reality in every church. We all stumble in many ways. So, but notice the, how he describes it here. He says, when a person is caught,
caught in sin. That could mean they were caught committing the act, like, you know, caught you red-handed. Some take it that way. More likely, it has the idea of being pursued by sin and being caught by it. Uh, the word caught means entrapped, to, to be overtaken or captured, like when an animal is caught by a hunter. The King James puts it this way, it is as being overtaken in a fault. You remember right before Cain killed his brother Abel? God comes to him. What does he say? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. That's the picture we've got here of a person caught by sin, captured by it. Perhaps they've lowered their guard or flirted with a temptation they thought they could withstand. Whatever the case, sin has overtaken them. So, in this circumstance, what do we do? What is our, if we're a family, what is our, if it's all hands on deck, what's our responsibility? When that inevitably happens at WCOC, what should our role be? Now, some of you are thinking, I don't know, Rob. Isn't that why we pay you and Dan the big bucks? I mean, you know, come on. I don't. And why do you keep saying we, we, we? Well, look again at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, notice, you who are spiritual. Now, it's hard to see this in many Bible translations, but that phrase, you who are spiritual, is plural. It reads something like, you who are the spirit people, which that sounds kind of strange, right? I'm addressing the spirit people in the church, you know? That, all that means, though, is that people who have the Holy Spirit. So picture it this way. Imagine it this way. Someone in our church community falls into sin. Paul shows up here on a Sunday morning or at an AGM, and says, all right, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've been born again. And you have the Holy Spirit. Great, yep, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, okay, 25, whatever of you. Wonderful. You are the spirit people. Link arms together and go restore that brother or sister who's fallen into sin. This is a community project, you see. It's, you understand, the spirit people are not some special elite group, a, a branch of super Christians, or just the church leaders. This is everyone who has the Holy Spirit. Now, you may hate confrontation. Fair enough. The thought of, of doing this might make your stomach turn. But the responsibility for restoring those who stumble in sin rests on the shoulders of the entire church. It's a community project. Notice too, brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, transgression, you who are spiritual, right, should restore. That, that word is like when someone has a broken arm. It needs to be mended, Right? Or if someone has a broken bone, maybe not an arm. I, when I was a teenager, I got double bounced off a trampoline. This is before they had the safety nets. 
and I got double bounced off and landed on the ground and broke my collarbone. But you know, I was 15 and I felt no pain, right? Even Because all my friends were watching. So I wasn't going to cry. But I was in excruciating pain and I spent the next few months having it looking like this, you know, one of those funky slings because my collarbone needed to be mended, right? And, and sin, when it gets a hold and, and captures someone, it destroys them. It puts them out of joint. They need mending. They need help. They need a community to come around, you see. You know, when Jesus approaches the disciples in Matthew 4, do you remember it says that they were, they're working and what are they doing? They're, they're mending their nets. Do you remember that? That's what fishermen do. They, they, they mend their nets. They're, and that's the same word that's used here. It's, it's nets would be torn and shredded and would need fixing. That's what sin does to someone's life. Shreds them and they need mending. And the good news is, friends, is the type of picture that Paul's gives us here is that we're not supposed to just be shredded and say, okay, well, I guess it's over now, game over. No, this is, where, this is why we need the, the church, you see, to help mend us back. Now, when the church does this, notice, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness, you see? That's the posture we're to have to someone, a spirit of gentleness. Now, verse 2 kind of makes a few assumptions here. Let me show you what I mean. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word burden means like a heavy load that you can't carry, that you actually can't make progress forward with. And so Paul says, bear one another's burdens. Now, it's interesting that he assumes we all have burdens which need bearing, isn't it? Right? So there's an assumption there. But he also, there's the assumption number one. Assumption number two is that God says, I know that you have them. I know that we all face, right? All of us in this church, we face doubts, sorrows, pain, fears, temptations, but God says, I know you have these, but you don't need to deal with them by yourself. My people can come underneath that heavy load and shoulder it with you, you see. Beautiful picture of the church, is it not? Bear one another's burdens, and what do you do? <laughs> well, this is pretty massive. Fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That should be the self-esteem t-shirt that we need to give to the millennials. I'm just, I'm just saying. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. You see, what we're called to do, friends, as a church is to restore each other in a spirit of gentleness, which is actually the fruit of the spirit, right? You remember? love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. You see, we can't by our own selves, no matter how much of a preschool teacher voice we might have by our own nature, by our own nature, we wouldn't 
care enough to restore people in gentleness. But if the Spirit of God, if we are the Spirit of people, is working in our lives, we will, by God's grace, be able to be gentle to others. You see? Because of the fruit of the Spirit. Some of us naturally have a preschool. And that, by the way, doesn't mean that the gentleness doesn't, you have to lower your voice. It's just you're a posture. You're not coming to them with this judgmental sort of criticism, but a sense of care and meekness, gentleness. You know, remember Paul in here, he's writing to the Galatians and he's confronting legalism, right? The Judaizers. Legalism is not gentle. Legalism is hard. In fact, in the Pilgrim's Progress, if you've ever read that, you know that right when Christian begins his journey, he gets led off course by Mr. Worldly Wiseman. And the very first place that he goes is the house of legality, right? <laughs> or on that path. And it's there that he's under this mountain and it's hard and crushing and he feels like the whole mountain's going to fall on top of him. Because legalism is hard and heavy. And we have these burdens that are going to just weigh us down. But gentleness actually does the opposite, you see. Gentleness says, brother, sister, let me carry that for you, you see. Let me help you with that. And it's difficult, isn't it? It's extremely difficult. So we might have a propensity to say, look, I'm going to stay out of this. It's none of my business. But I don't think we would be fulfilling the law of Christ. Do you see how significant that is? Because you, you might say, oh, I'm not going to, I'm going to leave that. That's up to the elders. That's up to the pastors. That's up to who, you know, those people. We are, if you have the Holy Spirit, you, friend, are called to bear each other's burdens. This is a community project. You're called to love and to care for each other. And really, to hold a mirror up to these people and say, this is who Christ has called you to be. You remember, you're a new creation. You're not that person anymore. I've given this illustration before, but it's like, you know, when you have a coffee with a friend and they, if they get a scone and they've got some, you know, cream, strawberry or jam or whatever, and they, ha and they get a little here. What, what, I mean, if you're a, if you're a, a caring friend, you're not going to go, I'm not going to say anything. You're going to go, hey, hey, mate, you got, you know, or, you know, sister or whatever, hey, you got, you know, right there. Oh, sorry, oh, thanks, oh, yeah. I mean, it would be the most unloving thing to go, hey, you know what? Maybe they want to wear that on their face. Maybe they enjoy it. Maybe they identify with that. Maybe that's just who they are now, you know, cream face or whatever. No, you got to help that person. And so Paul says, we're to confront one another Speak the truth in love, right? Bear one another's burdens. Friends, this is what he is calling us as Wyoming Church of Christ to be. What a beautiful picture that would be. What, what an amazing picture that would be of a church that, that has this outlook, that is genuinely concerned for the spiritual well-being of each other. That will shape a community, and I promise you that would be a compelling community that is committed to God, 
and that is helping one another carry each other's loads. Now, let's, let's look at one last passage here in Romans that Sally read for us. So, so go to Romans 12. Romans 12. Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. We get another one another again. Can you see it? Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now notice this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Do you find it interesting that he doesn't have that order reversed? I think it's harder to rejoice with people than it is to weep with them. Because particularly when they get something that we wanted, right? I mean, when someone is hurting, it's easy to come around them and say, oh, I'm so sorry. And kind of in the back of your mind, let's be honest, you're thinking, I'm glad it's not me. But you're kind of coming around them going, I'm really sorry, I'll weep with you, maybe I'll bring you a hot soup this week or whatever. But to be genuinely happy for someone else's well-being I tell you, it's difficult, particularly when there's something that we wanted. Maybe it's someone that got married before you, and you're jealous of that. Maybe it's someone that got the house that you wanted, or the job promotion that you wanted. Whatever it may be, I think it's interesting that the way the word order here is rejoice with those who rejoice, and have Empathy, right? Weep with those who weep. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Again, friends, this is the kind of church we're to be. This is what we are to commit to. It's not easy, but it's what the Lord has called us to be as a church. So are, are you excited about that? Is this something that you want to do? I know many of you have been very encouraging, just the conversations I've had with you, emails, phone calls. Praise God for that. But how do we know everyone is putting their hand in? And how do we know who's putting their hand in? There has to be some way to formalize this. We have to know who these people are. Let's pray. Gracious God, this text that we looked at is, it runs so counter to how we are as sinners. But Lord, we thank you that by your spirit, it can be a reality. 
imperfect, but nevertheless, there could be fruit there. So we pray that you'd stir in our hearts, Lord, that we would be people that want to constantly watch over each other, care for one another, to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And Lord, and as occasion may require, speak the truth in love so that all may be built up in the faith. We pray that our church would be marked for that. Not because of anything that we've done, but all because of your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.